awesome. I love Christmas. I hope you love Christmas. We're talking about joy to the world because when you talk about Christmas, joy seems to go with Christmas, Christmas with joy. In fact, they seem to go together so much that somebody wrote a song about it. We love to sing that song. We sang it this morning called Joy to the World. A lot of people know this song. A lot of people love this song. It's not just a song they sing in church, right? It's a song that even secular artists are singing. And so we've been talking about joy to the world. And last week, if you were here, you know that we kind of dug in and said there was a real person that wrote that song. His name was Isaac. And uh, as we looked at Isaac in his life, we said Isaac was an interesting guy. He was a very smart guy. Isaac was a guy who had his fair share of disappointments in his life. But the reason that he wrote the song was very fascinating to me because Isaac went to church, very intelligent, very creative young man. And when Isaac went to church, here's why he wrote the song and songs like that. He wrote the song because he saw people singing in church without a smile. He saw them singing in church and they had no smile. And he said, man, if I just look at their face, I would assume that the words crossing their lip aren't real in their heart. That's what he said. And so his daddy said this to him, do something about it. And he did. And he said, I'll write a song. And he wrote joy to the world. Isn't that fascinating? He wrote joy to the world because he wrote joy to the world to people who their face didn't indicate joy was in the world because it looked like joy had left the world. Maybe even joy was missing from their world. And here's what we said. And you, many of you talked to me after last week and you agreed with me. Christmas can amplify the fact that joy seems elusive. And for a lot of us, when we turn the news on, we're like, man, it looks like joy left the world, right? You watch the news, read the newspaper, look at your news feed, whatever it is, it looks like joy left the world. It looks like there is no joy. But so what happens to many of us, it looks like joy left the world, so like I'm going to bury myself in my own little world, and that's where I'll find joy. The problem with that is joy seems to be missing in many of our worlds. And it feels like there's no joy. Circumstances steal our joy. We talked about that last week. People rob our joy. We talked about that last week. And for some of you in the room, that's exactly where you're at. Joy's elusive. It's slippery. It's like a mirage. You can't get your hands around it. As soon as you seem to get it, it seems to fade away, slip away. You can't keep a hold of it. And here's what we said. If that's you and that's just real and that's where you're at, and some of you talked to me and and you said, that's my story. If that's where you're at, we said, there's really, really good news. And that's this. The Christmas story's for you. Like, like if we take the sheen off of Christmas, if we take the decorative veneer away from Christmas, like I think we sanitize Christmas, we make Christmas all nice and tidy so that we can put it on our mantelpiece so that it looks good. But if we take the, the decorative sheen off of Christmas, we realize these are real people and they lived at a real time and they lived at a time, the very first Christmas happened during a time where it looked like joy left the world, wasn't coming back. Like those people, first century, if they had turned on the news, the first century, they would have seen things like this. Hey, there's another empire in control. They conquered us. We're in captivity. If they had turned the news on first century, they'd have said, hey, there's a ruler in charge. He's kind of cruel. His personal life's a mess and he's leading us. If they had turned on the news first century, they're like, hey, man, we got to pay taxes. We have no say what we pay, but we got to pay. If they turned the news on first century, hey, man, religion's going crazy. It's polluted. It's distorted. There's classes of people. It looked like joy left the world. So here's what we do. We're like, okay, that doesn't feel comfortable to us, so let's really lean into the characters of Christmas that seem to be familiar to us. Joseph, Mary, all of them. And here's the deal. We, we encouraged you. We challenged you this way last week. We said, we got to let them be real. I beg of you, let them be real. Because if you let them be real just for a minute, if you let those people, those characters that you're familiar with, that sit on your mantelpiece that don't look real, they look serene, they look calm, they look polished, if you let them be real, here's what you learn. You learn in time that it's very possible that maybe joy felt like sometimes it was missing from their world. Because we just assumed they woke up one day and assumed they were going to play this part in the Christmas story, but they had no idea. 
and the part they played in the first Christmas story wasn't part of their bigger plan. None of them woke up and said, hey, I hope I become Joseph and Mary in the story someday. And when you look at their story, it's very easy to see how joy could be missing from their world. And so how the story ends up is this. You have Joe, you have Mary, 80, 90 miles from their home, and that's where she decides to have birth. She decides to give birth there. I guess you don't decide, do you, ladies? You just kind of go when it goes, right? And that's when it happened, right? And they have, they, they, she had this baby, and they literally placed this baby in an animal's eating trough. And that is the crib for this baby. It could have felt like joy was missing from their world. What's interesting in the story is this. We talked about all that last week. This is interesting, and this will take us where we're going to go this week. What's interesting is, is that God decides to announce this birth that happened in this ambiguous, obscure place. He decides to announce this to the most unusual group of people. Stay with me. The most unusual group of people. We're going to talk about that later. You ready? In the middle of the night. Raise your hand if you're with me. I very rarely, if ever, in fact, I can never think of a time I got good news in the middle of the night. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. When, I, my, when my phone rings in the middle of the night, I don't know how your world is, but when my phone rings, it's never, I have never had it be good news. It, when somebody rings my doorbell in the middle of the night and I ask you not to do that unless you absolutely need to, right? But here's the deal, it's never good news. And yet in the middle of the night, these guys are just minding their own business. They're shepherds. And in the middle of the night, their life is interrupted with some good news. Here's how the story goes. If you have your Bibles, look at it with me. Verse 8, chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. That's what shepherds did. They literally lived with their sheep. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Stay with me. This is the most unusual combination of people. This is a meeting that is so unusual because you have the people on this earth that are about as low as you can go socially. The only people that would have been lower than them socially would have been the colony of lepers. Like if you wanted to be lower than a shepherd, be a leper. And you have angels meeting this group of shepherds, the highest of heaven meeting the lowest of earth. And they got something to say. I want you to read it. Here's what it says. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. Easy for an angel to say. He says, I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. This is interesting to me. If you write in your Bibles, and I would, circle the word great, and literally the word great, when you drill back into the original, you can forget this, is where we get the word mega. He says, I got good news, and it's going to give you mega joy. It's like, I hope it will. You just interrupted me in the middle of the night, right? And so what is that news that's going to give me great joy? Here's what it says, verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior's been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Look here a second. We just got to get real for a minute. Can we do that for a second? Because I'm looking at you, and this is too familiar. It's too sanitized. Like you're reading this, and like that's the Christmas story. You can almost read it like Charlie Brown's film. You're like reading it, and you're not thinking about it. You got your 21st century Christmas ears on, right? And so I'm going to ask you for a minute to take those ears off. I'm going to ask you to take your 21st century Christmas ears off and read this as though you're reading it for the first time. Like these guys literally are interrupted in the middle of the night. An angel totally freaks them out. And he says, I got good news. It's going to cause great joy. Great. What is that news? Hey, by the way, there's a baby been born. And there's a part of you like, really? That's the news? The news is that baby been born? We couldn't have waited till the morning for that, right? 
It's kind of like this. Raise your hand. I want class participation. Ready? Ready? Class participation. Anybody in the room ever had somebody come to them and say, hey, I got to tell you something. It is so funny. I got to share something with you. It is hilarious. You're going to laugh. And you're like, okay, I'll stop what I'm doing. Share it with me. And they share it with you. And you look at it like, dude, that ain't funny. Anybody ever had that happen? Raise your hand, right? Like that was life in the Gregory household because when my kids were growing up, here's the way it rolled. My son's in here somewhere. He can tell you this, that around the supper table, I would sit there with my kids and they would want me to share jokes with them. Very funny around the supper table. And so they would laugh at my jokes. And so I would share these crazy, stupid jokes. If it was around Christmas time, I would try to theme my jokes. I would try to make them Christmas jokes, kind of like this. Kind of like, hey, guys, you know how you know that Santa Claus has three gardens? I'm like, oh, man, it's a good one. No, Daddy, tell us. Because he ho, ho, hoes, right? Somebody here said, oh, gosh, come on now. I need a little more help than that. Because my kids, man, are like, oh, they bust the gut. Like, dad's the funniest guy on the face of the earth. And I'm like, man, that just kind of motivated me to keep going. I'm like, man, I got more where that came from, right? So I'd look at it and say, hey, listen, settle in. Where in the world does Frosty the snowman, where does he keep his money? I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good one, right? I'm like, oh, it's going to be a good one, right? And like, I don't know, dad. I'm like, a snowbank. Boom, boom, right? You can share that around the table, right? Here's the problem. You know what my kids would do? My kids were like, oh, daddy's the funniest guy on the face of the earth. Whether you think that or not, they thought that. I'm just telling you, okay? And they would sit there and like, okay, okay. And they would want to mimic me. And so they're like, they'd think, and you could see the wheels turn. they hey, daddy, I got this funny joke. It's the funniest joke ever. And it's like, okay, I'll stop what I'm doing. What's the joke? And they're like, how do you know? How do you know Santa Claus likes cookies and milk? I'm like, never heard this one before. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, can't wait. Because we put them out on Christmas Eve. <laughs> you see, here's the deal. When somebody comes to you with great news, and particularly in the middle of the night, you're like, dude, this better be really good news. Like, if you're going to call me in the middle, I'm like, this is the best news ever. And when we read this, let's just be real for a minute, okay? Let's just be real. We read this, and like, man, everybody thinks their baby's special. Like, when your baby's born, like, tell me in the morning. I'm just saying, all right? Call me in the morning. We'll come. We'll celebrate. And they show up these shepherds in the middle of the night. It's like, why in the world they show up these shepherds in the middle of the night? Like, what's so good about this news? What is it about this news that's going to cause mega joy? And we listen to it with our 21st century ears. It's so familiar that we don't think about it, and we can't understand it unless we take those ears off and put on first century shepherd's ears. Because when you do that, all of a sudden, it's like, bam, oh, I didn't see it that way. (laughs) Because this group of people the angel came to, interesting group of people, they've been watching sheep. That's why they're shepherds, and their parents have, and their grandparents have, and their great-grandparents, and their great-great-grandparents. They've been watching sheep for a long time, and guess what? Those guys the angel showed up to, guess what? They've been hearing the same story for years. Their parents shared it with them, probably their great-grandparents shared it with them, and their parents shared it with them. And you know, that story was about God, and it said this, that God was going to send this Messiah, that that, that somehow God was going to send this great rescuer, that that, that God was going to send somebody that was going to save them, this person was going to show up. Here's the problem. Their great-grandparents, their great-great-grandparents, their parents, Shared this story, shared this story, and for 400 years, great anticipation, great expectation, silent disappointment, nothing. You're like, what do you mean, Dan? If you took your Bible 
and you took the very last page of the Old Testament, first part of your Bible, and you smashed it against the very first page of the New Testament, second part of your Bible, it's one page to us in our Bibles, it's 400 years in history. That 400 years had passed and they had passed this story on, said God's gonna show up, God's gonna give us a deliverer, God's gonna send somebody to save us, and for 400 years, they were waiting for a Messiah and it looked like all they got was a mess. (laughs) In fact, these shepherds, Chances are, I don't know, chances are they're great, maybe great-grandparents were there when a guy named Alexander showed up and conquered the known world. He conquered the entire known world of that time. And maybe their great-great-grandparents would have said, yeah, I remember when he did that, he took over. And we had to learn a whole new culture. We had to learn a whole new language. There was a whole new money system. There was a whole new way of doing finances. Everything changed the day Alexander the Great showed up. And I remember it, or maybe, stay with me, stay with me, maybe, just maybe, their great-grandparents remember the time when a ruler, a very cruel ruler, a tyrant showed up, and he so despised the Jewish people, their ancestors, he so despised them that he rode into Jerusalem, grabbed a pig, which was despicable to a Jew, And he took that pig under his arm and he walked into the temple where they worshiped and he slaughtered that pig in the place they considered holy. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Or maybe these shepherds in this story that are on our mantelpiece that we don't think are real people sometimes, maybe it was their grandparents who were part of the Maccabean revolt. This time when a group of Jews rose up in guerrilla warfare because they had had enough and they scratched and they gnarled their way to get some independence. Problem was it was short-lived and it was over. And maybe their parents remember in 63 BC when a Roman ruler whose name was Pompey rode into town, sieged the city, took it over. That wasn't enough. But he walked into their temple. That wasn't enough. He was so curious about their religion, so curious about what he thought was their superstition. And he walked into their temple. He walked into the very deep part of their temple where there was this place that was revered called the Holy of Holies, where no man dared to walk beyond the curtain. And Pompey, the Roman tyrant, ripped open the curtain to see this God the Jews worshiped only to find himself majorly disappointed and saying, these guys are crazier than I thought. There's no statue, there's no idol, there's no God in here. And the sad part about it is that maybe, just maybe, that Roman ruler whose name is Pompey said out loud, listen close, said out loud what some of them were thinking in their heart and maybe even what some of you are thinking in your heart. Maybe, just maybe, that Roman ruler was saying out loud what some of them had begun to think because there was 400 years of disappointment, 400 years of silence. And it's in that context, in that moment, when the angel shows up and he says this, verse 11, he says, today in the town of David, a savior's been born to you. And that just to us is another town, but to them, these shepherds hearing this, it would have been like, whoop, 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 when he said town of David. You know why? because they knew exactly where that was at. That was the town David was born in. And if you were here during our story of Ruth, you know what that is, because you know David's great-grandparents, Ruth and Boaz. They lived in the town of Bethlehem. 
And the reason that would have been significant to them is because these shepherds, their parents, great-grandparents, and their great-great-great-great to the 10th degree grandparents would have listened to, stay with me on this, a preacher whose name was Micah. And they would have listened to this preacher whose name was Micah, and he preached 700 years before the first Christmas ever happened. And that preacher whose name was Micah said this in Micah 5.2. He says, you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And all of a sudden, it would have dawned on you, wow, I know why this good news causes great joy. You know why? Because it means this. It means that God's working It means that God's working and that he will always, always, always keep his word. Even when it feels like he's not doing anything, he was up to something. Even when I don't understand what it is that's going on, he's going to keep his promises. And all of a sudden, these shepherds are like, wow, we were just about ready to give up. We were just about ready to think that maybe God had checked out and God has been working all along. Guys, here's why this is so significant. Here's why this is so important this morning. Because if we were honest, and you can be honest here, if we were to pull back the curtain of some of our hearts, our lives, our minds, some of you think God's checked out. There are some of you sitting here right now, and you're like, man, God's not showing up. I don't feel like I understand what is God doing. And the good news of Christmas is simply this. The good news of Christmas is that God is working and that God will always, always, always keep his word. In fact, if you keep reading the Christmas story, there's a guy in the Christmas story that's not on your mantelpiece. He ought to be, but he's not. He's part of the Christmas story well before the wise men, well before the magi. But for some reason, he doesn't show up on the mantelpiece. His name is Simeon. You see, Simeon's found in Luke chapter 2. If you keep reading, here's what you find, that Mary and Joseph do what the law requires. And they take their little baby boy after he's born, and they take him to the temple to be circumcised. Merry Christmas, right? And there's a guy there at the temple whose name is Simeon. And he's interesting to me, because here's how the account goes. In verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord. Look here a second before I go any further. You see, if you want a big, big word to put with what we just said, put the word sovereign. God is sovereign. The fact that God is working will always do what he says means God is sovereign. Nothing catches him off guard. Nothing shows up and surprises God. He's sovereign. He says, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. Here, look here a second. Okay. We got to let these people be real. Like when you read your Bible, don't read it in black and white. Read it in color. Simeon lived when it looked like joy left the world. He lived at the same time. It looked like joy had left the world, and yet there's something about him. He was righteous and devout. Why? Here's why. Because he, stay with me. This is important for some of you. He decided to focus on the promise of God instead of the problems around him. I want you to write it this way. You and I can choose to focus on our problems. 
or we can choose to focus on God's promises. You see, here's why this is important. I'm going to tell you why this is important. I'm looking out and I see stories all over the place. Some of them I know, some of them I don't know. But I would bet you any money that some of you are a story of joy that's left your world for whatever reason. Joy's left your world. For some of you, you're sitting there and it's like it feels like God's checked out. And here's why it feels like God's checked out. Because in your world, if you're honest, it feels like the bad guys get ahead and the good guys can't catch a break. Is there anybody in the room that's ever felt that? Just let me see your hand. Be honest, because I sure have. And when it feels like the bad guys get ahead and the good guys can't catch a break, it's like, God, what's up with that? And it's then, it's then, stay with me, it's then that I lean into the promise where I hear God say, listen, look to Jesus when you're unjustly treated and entrust yourself to God. He'll always end up doing the right thing. Hang on, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm the one, I'm still working. See, some of you need to hear this at Christmas, not simply because you think the bad guys get ahead and the good guys can't catch a break. Some of you feel like you're talking to a God and he's saying nothing. Hey, like, I feel like I'm talking nothing. I feel like I'm talking nothing. Think of 400 years and nothing. And yet 1 John 5 says, listen, hang on, hang in there. I hear you. You can be confident of this. 1 John 5, 14, you can be confident that when you pray, I hear what you're saying. I promise. Some of you are sitting here and you turn on the news and you're like, man, it feels like the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Maybe God's checked out. Maybe God wants nothing to do. Maybe God, and here's the deal. That's when you don't focus on the problem. You lean into the promise. What's the promise? The promise is this. The promise is this, that Jesus said, don't be surprised. Feels like everything's going crazy. Don't be surprised, Jesus said. In this world, you will face trouble. You will face tribulation, he says. But I want you to take heart. I have overcome the world, right? Some of you are like, man, I need to hear this because some of you are like, hey, I think maybe God has forgotten me. I I think maybe God's gone on to other things. And that's where you focus on the promise. Hebrews 13 says, I will never, what? Leave you or forsake you. With God as my helper, what do I need to be afraid of? You see, the story of Christmas is a story of good news, brings mega joy. Here's why God's working. He's always gonna keep his word. Always gonna keep his word. What's interesting to me about that first Christmas is that one of the promises pertaining to that first Christmas is found from a preacher who also preached 700 years, stay with me, 700 years before the first Christmas. He was Micah's contemporary. His name was Isaiah. In fact, many of you have heard this. It's on a Christmas card you're getting ready to send. And here's how Isaiah, the preacher, said it in 714. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Hang on to that word. He'll give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, you don't see that every day, and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel. That sounds funny. Why would they call him Emmanuel? That doesn't mean anything to us unless we know Hebrew. And if we knew Hebrew, which many of us don't, right? But if we knew Hebrew, we would know that that word means this, God with us. And so when the angel came to these shepherds and said this, today in the town of David, a savior's been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Look at this. This will be a, there's our word, sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger Here's literally what it means. This will be a sign. You'll find a baby. These guys are going to see a baby who just happens to be born of a virgin. Never seen that before. This is the baby who will be called Emmanuel. Here's the deal. Don't miss this. This is mind-blowing. The Christmas story, good news that's going to cause mega joy, is that God showed up and he wrapped skin around himself. 
You see, I want you to write it this way. This is good news that brings great joy because it means God is listening and he completely understands me. I want you to write it down. Some of you need to hear it this morning. God is listening and he completely understands me. That the story of Christmas is, here's the big word. If you want a big word, if you like big words, you like to impress people with big words, write this word down. This is the incarnation. This is incarnation. All incarnation is, I'm not all into big words, it just means God in the flesh. He showed up with skin on, God in the flesh. That's mind-blowing to me. It's mind-blowing to me that we have a God who showed up. It makes me think of one of my favorite Christmas stories. I shared it a couple years ago. For some of you, I think it maybe is a favorite of yours as well. But it's a story about a man who was a good man, a devout man. He was a man who was, who was upright in all of his dealings. One problem was this, he just didn't buy the Christmas story. It's like, I just don't buy the fact that God became a man. And so he was tired of being a hypocrite. Told his wife, he said, this year I don't want to be a hypocrite. You take the family, go to Christmas Eve services, I'm not coming. I just am tired of playing the hypocrite. She obliged and she took the family and off to Christmas Eve services they went. The moment they left, the snow began to fall. He went in, took his seat by the fireplace, began reading his newspaper. Looked out the window and saw that the flurries had all of a sudden turned into a snowstorm and it was snowing rather heavy. He stoked the fire, he began to read his newspaper and all of a sudden he heard thump, thump, thump. Jumped up from his seat and ran to the picture window in his living room. What in the world's going on? And all of a sudden, he saw out in the yard a flock of birds. A flock of birds that had gotten caught in the blizzard that was coming. And they had seen the light, and they thought this would be our chance to get where it's safe, to get where we're going to be okay, to be rescued from the blizzard. The problem is there was glass in the way. He looked and looked at this flock of birds, and they were futile. They were helpless. They couldn't figure out how to save themselves. And he's like, man, if I don't do something, if I don't do something quick, they're going to perish in this snowstorm. So he put on his coat and put on his boots, and he said, I know exactly the place that's going to be helpful for those birds. It's the barn where my kids raised their pony. So he ran to the barn, he opened the doors, hoping the light would somehow draw the birds into the barn. The problem was, when he opened the door, it simply scared the birds, and they scattered. He thought, man, i got to do something quick because these birds are going crazy. And so he said, maybe I'll get behind them and shoo them into the barn. The more he shooed them, the more frightened they became, the more disoriented they became. He said, I'm not sure how to get them. Can't they understand? Can't they understand they need to get in the barn to be safe? And so he thought, I'll get some breadcrumbs and kind of lead them into the barn. Nothing the guy did got the birds in the barn because he had determined they're afraid of me. I'm simply this big, foreign creature And then it dawned on him, he said, somehow, if I don't do something, if I can't do something, these birds are going to perish. They're not going to get where they need to be to be safe. And he said, if only I could somehow speak to them. And then it dawned on him, if only I could become a bird. So I could look at them and speak to them, and they would trust me, and they would believe me and not be afraid of me. And then I could lead them to the place where they're going to be safe and not perish. Then it dawned on him. That's the story of Christmas. That there is a God who looked at us banging against, trying to save ourselves, trying to figure out how to get out of what it is that we're hopelessly caught in, and that God became a man so that he could lead us to the only place that could save us. Guys, listen to me. We live in a culture where we're mesmerized by pro athletes that will go serve Thanksgiving dinner, politicians who will fill a sandbag just long enough for a photo op. 
I want to tell you the good news of Christmas. We have a God who created everything we see, who became a man, who lived with us. He didn't just show up for a photo op, but he became one of us. That's the story of Christmas. I love how an author whose name is Max Lucado writes. He has a way with words. This is what he says. No silk. This will make some of you feel uncomfortable, by the way. I'll just warn you. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. If the synagogue preacher in Nazareth knew who was listening, he might have preached different sermons. Jesus, maybe he had pimples. Maybe he was tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him. Could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure. He was, listen close, while divine, completely human. For 33 years, he could feel everything you and I ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds, burped, had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. His head ached. To think of Jesus in this light is, well, it seems irreverent. I can see that in some of your faces. It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. It's much easier to clean the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes, pretend he never snore, blew his nose, or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, and predictable. Listen, here's what the author says. Don't do it. He says, don't do it. For heaven's sakes, don't do it. Let Jesus be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and the muck of your world, for only if we let him in can he pull us out. Guys, listen to me. Listen to me. This is unreal to me. We have a God who knows what it's like to be hungry. We have a God who knows what it's like to be happy. We have a God who knows exactly what it's like to be hurt, to be ridiculed, to be rejected. We have a God who knows what it's like to be abused, abandoned, and angry. We have a God who knows what it's like to laugh, to be lonely, and to lose a friend. That's unreal. Let that blow your mind. You know what that does for me and what it ought to do for you? It gives me great confidence. Look here. It gives me great confidence when I go to him with my stuff. You're sitting there looking at me like you don't have stuff. Can I tell you something? You got stuff and I got stuff. We all got stuff. And you know what the Bible calls it when we go to him with our stuff? That's prayer. I'm going to tell you something about prayer. I have people who won't pray. You know why they won't pray? Because they say this to me. They say, I don't know how to pray. Because they think somehow they got to memorize a polished poem or some big words to pray. God doesn't want your impressive prayers. You know what he wants? He wants real. He wants authentic. He wants raw. He wants you to come to him with his stuff. You know why? Because we have a God who understands. You ever seen two women that have survived cancer talking to each other? They hear each other different, don't they? You ever see two widows talk to each other? They understand each other different, don't they? You ever see two people who've been in the war talk to each other? They understand each other different. We have a God who understands. That's why Hebrews 4 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That's prayer, guys, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want to tell you something. This message the angel delivered to these shepherds 
was a message of good news that was going to bring mega joy. Here's why. Because there is a God who's listening, and he became a man. He understands us completely. And there's a God who is working, and he's going to keep his word. There's something else really interesting. I don't know, maybe I read the Bible funny, but when I read the Bible, I ask myself questions. And when I look at this passage, I look in verse 11, here's what it says. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Look here a second. I want to ask a question, then we're done. When I read the Bible, I try to take off the familiarity and read it as though I'm reading it for the first time. And I ask myself this question, why in the world, in this big moment, did God choose shepherds to share this news with? I don't know, I just think that way. I'm like, if I was doing it, which he didn't ask my opinion, but if I was doing it, I probably would have picked a different group of people. Maybe somebody with more influence, somebody with more notoriety. I don't know. But I asked myself this question. I wonder why in the world he picked shepherds. And so I went with that question and it dawned on me that there was a very intentional reason, I think, that he picked shepherds. I really do. You say, what's that reason? Well, I wonder to myself if the reason he picked shepherds is because they've been watching sheep. You're like, duh, thank you. And their parents had, their grandparents, their great grand for centuries. Their whole life was sheep. They protected the sheep. They lived with the sheep. They provided for the sheep. But you know something else? They raised these sheep, and they were used to one, two, some of those sheep that had no blemish being chosen. Because those sheep that they were raising who had no blemish would be chosen to be the sacrificial lamb. It's interesting to me because over and over again in their world, in their life, in their story, these shepherds would have seen sheep, lamb after lamb after lamb, being taken away to be the sacrificial lamb. And these sacrifices for the sake and the sin of the people would have reminded them and reminded all of those who would have been a part of that, of how serious sin is and the consequences of sin and how holy God is. Such that whereas these shepherds, these shepherds who raised sheep would have been used to one day a year, a high priest getting two lambs or two goats on a day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And that high priest would have taken one of those lambs and they would have sacrificed that lamb. And with the blood of that lamb, that high priest would have walked into the place where no man dare walk without the blood of the lamb into the holy of holies. And in that place, he would have called out to God and cried and confessed for the sins of the people. And the blood of the lamb was a symbol to recognize that there was payment Need it for the sins of the people. And he in the Holy of Holies would have cried out on behalf of the people for the sins of the people. But that that same high priest would have come out of the Holy of Holies and he would have placed his hands on the lamb or the goat that was alive on the day called Yom Kippur. And he would have confessed all the violations of the people, all the sins of the people. And then they would have taken that live lamb outside the city to a remote place in the wilderness, in the desert, and they would have released that lamb as a symbol that the sins of the people confessed in the presence of God under the blood of the lamb would be gone, removed forever and always. Guys, it makes me wonder to myself because these shepherds would have been used to raising those lambs. And it makes me wonder if those shepherds, those Christmas shepherds, those shepherds that have become so familiar on our mantelpiece, if any of them would have lived long enough to watch the Christmas Jesus, the baby Jesus, grow up to be the adult Jesus. And if any of them would have been in earshot earshot when Christmas Jesus, now adult Jesus, would have made his way down a pathway to this wild-eyed preacher whose name was John. 
And in John 1, when the wild-eyed preacher saw Jesus, now grown-up Jesus, coming towards him, this is what he said. He said, everybody, look. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it makes me wonder if any of those shepherds that heard that good news that's gonna cause mega joy would have lived long enough to see the story in the book of Luke play out to the very end. If any of them would have been around, maybe been witnesses to watch the Christmas Jesus, now the grown-up Jesus, when they laid him naked on a Roman cross and then they pounded stakes in his wrists and his feet. And it makes me wonder if any of those shepherds would have lived long enough to watch as they lifted that cross and they dropped it in the hole. If any of those shepherds would have been around, would have been eyewitness to Jesus on the cross. And if at that moment, if at that moment it would have ignited that this angel said this is good news, it's gonna bring mega joy because there on the cross is the Lamb of God. And it makes me wonder if the ones who raised the lambs for God were the ones who were chosen to be witnesses of the Lamb of God because somehow this message that brings great news means this, that God offers me and you grace by taking our place. And I wonder if any of those shepherds would have looked at that point and seen the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world, dying in my place. You see, grown-up Jesus... Jesus on the cross, Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus, is where I belong. And yet he took my place. That's good news, gonna bring mega joy. Hebrews chapter two says it this way, we see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Galatians 3 says it this way, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. Romans 5 says, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I talk to you for a minute? I'd love for you not to put anything away. Just dial in for a second. What I want to say to you is so serious and so important. The story of Christmas is about Jesus receiving what I deserve so that I could receive what I don't deserve. That's grace. Some of you need to hear that this morning. That Jesus is the Lamb of God dying in my place. He took what I earned so that I could receive what I could never earn. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not something we do. I thought all week, this is so important. How do I help them understand this? And I struggled and, and worked and struggled. And, and, and I don't know. The only thing that kept coming back to my mind is a story that I've shared with some of you because I share it all the time in my office. I've, I've shared it with many of you maybe. But I thought of two individuals, two boys. You see, if you haven't hung out around here very long, you might not know I was a football coach before I got here, coached for 14 years and about 12, 13 years into coaching, I had two boys on my team that were hellions. Everything I told them to do, they didn't do and the things I didn't want them to do, they decided that's what we'll do. I'll never forget these two boys. As long as I live, I'll never forget them. They had been such 
absolute idiots. I don't know how else to put it. In practice all week, they got suspended from the game. That meant this. They had to wear their jersey, stand on the sideline. They couldn't play. I looked at both these boys and I said, listen, don't cause any trouble tonight. You stand on the sideline. Your job is to run water into your teammates and don't distract us. Yes, sir. Game started and those boys did everything I'd ask them not to do. They caused all kinds of distraction and they didn't do anything that I'd ask them to do. The whole game, they were a distraction. The whole game, they were rebellious. The whole game, they were hellions. I turned around at one point and looked them square in the eye and I said, stop it. They kind of, they went right here and right there. And they began to create all kinds of distraction and chaos. And I turned around a second time and I said, stop it. Third time. I turned around and looked them square in the eye and I said, see me at practice tomorrow. Now, if you've never played football, you never want the coach to say, see me after practice. I said, tomorrow after practice, you're mine. I won't lie to you, I was angry. I was frustrated. The next day at practice, we show up to practice. The whole team goes through the fence that led to the practice complex. And it was a rather large complex. And it had a fence that went the whole way around it. And the fence was about a mile and a half, two miles long. It's pretty common that if we wanted to give out consequences we'd have kids run the fence kids came to practice that day and these two kids were dressed in full gear and they went to practice it was hot and we worked everybody hard they never never looked me in the eye all during practice I wouldn't have either but the end of practice came and they were walking up the sidewalk and I was standing at the gate and they got to the gate and they looked the other way and I called them by name and I said I want you to come over here both those boys came and stood in front of me and I said, you guys have been absolute toads. Not just yesterday, but you have been absolutely impossible to coach. And you guys both know that what you did yesterday was out of line. They looked at me and said, yes, sir. And I said, you know that you did everything I asked you not to and didn't do anything I asked you. Yes, sir. And you know that what you did yesterday deserves a major consequence they weren't so quick to answer they looked at me and they said yes sir one of those little boys happened to be a lineman that meant he was kind of chubby they were both wearing full gear and we'd worked them hard and it was hot out at that moment I saw right here him begin to well up with tears because he knew what was more than likely coming wasn't something that was going to be easy for him to do. I looked at both those boys and I said, I, I am at the end of my rope with you. And I looked them square in the eye and I said, I want today to be a day you never forget the rest of your life. Those two boys thought I was going to kill them. That's what they thought was going to happen at that point. I said, I hope today's a day you never forget the rest of your life. But today, both of you deserve to run the fence. They said, yes, sir. And I said, before you run the fence, I have something I want to do. I decided at that moment to take the whistle off of my neck and I put it over top of the chubby little fellow's neck. And then I handed my clipboard to the other young man. And I said, today, the two of you will stand here at the entrance to this field. 
while you watch coach run the fence for you. And I took off running. I got halfway around the fence. And I could see those boys were wondering, what is going on? I got halfway around the fence and said, what am I doing? Is what I thought to myself. I got done running the fence. And I looked at those boys in the eye and I said, today's the day. I hope you never forget. Today's the day coach ran the fence for you. But that means nothing. That is so small compared to what God did for you about 2,000 years ago. Because about 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus. And you know why he sent Jesus? Because Jesus ran the fence for you. When Jesus went to the cross, he did for you what you deserved, but he took. And when he died, he died in your place on the cross for your sins. That's how much he loves you. You see, I want you guys to hear something this morning. This is my heart. That Christmas Jesus grew up and he was crucified Jesus. But he didn't die on the cross to become some moral example for us to follow. He's a great example to follow, but that's not why he died. He died to be our substitute. He died in our place for our sin. And this morning, you can say yes to him. And this can be the Christmas that brings you mega joy. Because you can leave here today knowing you're saved from your sins. You can stop working to try to impress God. You can stop trying to earn it on your own. You can't. You see, it's not just what did Jesus do? What would Jesus do? It's what he did. And when he died, he died for you in your place. He died to forgive you of your sins. You can say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I bring you good news. It's going to cause great joy. And you know what he said? It's going to be for everybody. You see, that means this good news that causes great joy is for everybody. And guess what? That includes you. And that includes me. No matter how your story goes. You see, some of you, you're thinking to yourself, my story's so bad, that can't be me. And I want to tell you this morning, that includes you. It's good news that includes you. Some of you are so bored with this story because you grew up in church, it's so familiar that you forgot the story is for you, that Jesus came for you. That's the good news that brings mega joy. And so God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for good news that brings great joy in the quietness of this moment I just want to talk to some of you heads bowed you don't have to close your eyes whatever you need to do to get in your space some of you this morning have never said yes to Jesus why not this morning why not right there in your seat say yes Jesus I believe that when you came and died you died for me in my place to save me from my sin this morning I want to say yes I accept you as my savior and lord Man, if you had that conversation with God, I'd love to hear from you somehow. There's a whole bunch of you that are sitting here that you've said yes to Jesus, but if you peeled back the curtain of your life, it feels like Jesus is silent. He's not showing up. That somehow God has checked out. Maybe he's forgotten me. Maybe he's lost control. And maybe the story for you this Christmas is simply to say this, God, I am so glad for the good news that brings mega joy because I know even though I don't understand it, even though I can't see it, you're working, you're gonna keep your word. So what you're asking me to do this morning is to trust you and then talk to you. And some of you this morning, right here, right now, need to just talk to God. Talk to God quietly in your heart. Talk to God. You're angry. Talk to God. You're confused. Talk to God. 
He's listening. He completely understands. Some of you are lonely. Talk to God. Some of you are afraid. Talk to God. Some of you, some of you got a big decision and you're not sure what to do. Talk to God. Some of you are facing rejection. Talk to God. See, I'm so grateful for the good news that brings mega joy. Because God, I believe that you understand us completely. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. Thank you that we can believe and focus on the fact that you're at work and you're going to always keep your word. We love you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name.